Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Traditional psychiatry, integrative medicine, or just someone to talk to, Dr. Carly is here to provide moms with personal solutions so that they may experience whole body, mind, and well-being at this most extraordinary time of motherhood. Now, please welcome the host of MD for Moms, Dr. Carly Snyder. Welcome. You are listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. I'm a reproductive and perinatal psychiatrist, meaning I work with women struggling with emotional symptoms throughout their reproductive years. I'm also mom to three awesome children of my own. This show, MD for Moms, is dedicated to helping women enjoy life more, to maximizing health and wellness, and to improving women's relationships with themselves and with others. Throughout the show, I'm going to remind you that if you have a question, you can give us a call, 866-451-1451. And we are continuing our much-loved Mama Docs on Call series, where I introduce you to physicians who are also moms. And they are here to provide information and support that's really geared to you and your family. And today's show is going to focus on what happens when getting pregnant and actually your pregnancy isn't so easy, right? So we kind of think of it as being, you know, okay, we're going to have a baby, boom. And then there's a baby. But of course, we all know that's not the case. But sometimes it's actually a lot harder than others. So we are going to talk today with two physicians who go, you know, the two steps in the difficult. So we're going to talk about fertility and we're going to talk about high-risk pregnancy. So we have Dr. Jessica Mann, who is a reproductive endocrinologist, and Dr. Revital or Tali Farrow, who's maternal fetal medicine. And small, funny little aside, three of us all overlapped at NYU at one point way back in the Stone Age. Um, so welcome. Thank welcome you, Carly. You. It's a, our pleasure to be here and reconnect. I can't believe I know, it. So much- <laughs> I know. Such a small world. So why don't we start, Jessica, what do you do? What's your job? My job is to help patients have a healthy baby, one baby at a time. So I help people who would like to conceive, whether they have struggles, whether they 
aren't unable to keep a pregnancy. So, you know, either if it's primary infertility or secondary infertility or pregnancy losses. And I also talk to patients who sometimes just want to discuss their fertility options. As we know that uh, our age has an impact on ovarian inequality. So sometimes patients want to discuss their options as young women who may not have a partner or may not be ready to have a baby yet. Okay, and Callie, what about you? So I'm a maternal fetal medicine specialist, which is a doctor that helps care for women with um, complicated or high-risk pregnancies. I do a lot of ultrasound diagnosis. So a lot of times if you go to an ultrasound center, the doctor that comes in to talk to you after the ultrasound is a specialist like myself. I deal with a lot of women who get pregnant with complicated medical conditions. Um, I take care of women who are pregnant that have um, babies with all sorts of problems. Um, I also do a lot of consultations and help obstetricians take care of pregnant women with high risk. And I do some very high risk deliveries as well. Wow, I mean, both jobs sound very, very interesting and exciting. And I guess we'll start Jessica with you again. Who's your typical patient? Like what woman is most likely, if there is such a thing, to come and need fertility treatments? And so this is a, a good question because a lot of times patients don't realize that, um, you know, um, the fact that maybe you've been trying to conceive or, or just not using any form of contraception, that means you're trying. So I have patients that maybe they've been together for 10 years and now they're ready to have a baby and tell me, well, we've used, you know, maybe the pull-up method, so we really haven't tried, but for the past two months, I'm like, but the fact that you have not used contraception, that means you've been trying. So, so the, usually the recommendation is that, you know, women who are under 35, uh, technically, if they have not tried to conceive, if they've not been able to conceive after one year, then they usually should, should see a reproductive endocrinologist. And when a woman is over 35, then usually the threshold goes down to like six months. In general, we, we also discuss with patients that if you have somebody who's 40 and over, it may not be worth waiting six months. So you, it's not a bad idea to discuss with an REI or talk to your OBGYN about your options and do some testing. Um, so a lot of the times, you know, it's the majority of my patients are women or, you know, who are trying to conceive essentially. And sometimes they are not aware that they're having problems. A lot of them, they find us um, because their OBs have sent them to us for evaluation. And what about you, Tally? Which, I mean, what is, if there is such a thing as kind of your typical patient? So there is, but basically if you are pregnant, you probably are a candidate to see a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Um, we do take care of a lot of women with underlying medical problems like diabetes, um, high blood pressures, autoimmune disorders, patients with transplants. We also do a lot of the general ultrasounds in pregnancy and a lot of the um, diagnoses for all women. Um, and then, you know, if your baby does have specific issues in utero, like growth issues, any kind of anomalies, these are patients we take care of, um, you know, twins, triplets, I've even had a set of quadruplets. These are all candidates wow. for maternal fetal medicine. Wow, quads. I, like, cannot even begin to imagine. Um, I know. I mean, whew, good for that mom. Can yeah. I, for not even forgetting the pregnancy, can you imagine postpartum with all those babies crying no, at no, once? No, I cannot. All night. I can't. Yeah. Oh God, 
God bless her. Well, now, is it common for a woman who would need fertility treatments to then inherently need to see MFM throughout their pregnancy, or are they really disconnected? In general, um, there are some things that, that depending on the uh, the type of infertility medications or, or, or technology that they use, uh, they probably will see an MFM at some point during their pregnancy. I think probably for most of them they will. It's not the technical definition of you know high-risk pregnancy, but the high-risk doctors do a lot of counseling and a lot of assessments, patients who um, use something called like ICSI, there's some recommendations that baby needs a fetal echo and I defer to Revtel for that. But, you know, they for the most part, most of the obstetricians that I work with are at some point needing the input of a high-risk specialist. Yeah, and, and in the last, the last yeah, okay. years, a lot of the um, reproductive endocrinologists have actually been sending patients to MFMs even before becoming pregnant so we can take a look, assess their risks, and really plan out a successful pregnancy for them. And if a woman has, you know, a high-risk first pregnancy, for example, or, you know, we could also flip it if the woman inherently needed fertility treatments for primary or secondary fertility in the past, does that mean that going forward she is going to need intervention in future pregnancies or not really? Um Tally, you want to take that one first? So, not necessarily. It depends on what the condition was that we had to see them for. There are a lot of conditions that do recur. Um, gestational diabetes has a high recurrence risk. Uh, you know, high uh, hypertensive disorders a lot of times may have a high recurrence risk. But a lot of times there could have been some sort of fetal condition which just kind of happened and is a one-off situation that may not repeat um, and they may not need a, a maternal fetal medicine specialist the second time around. So we would individualize every patient and see what the risks are. That may, I'm sure, though, if someone has seen you in the past, it's probably comforting to come back to some degree, right? Even with a yes, future yes. completely healthy pregnancy, there's always that fear if you had been high risk before. And so what about from the standpoint of fertility? If someone didn't ease, get pregnant easily on route, you know, with baby number one, how often is it that they need to go to their RE again for baby number two? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a good idea to discuss with uh, your OBGYN um, because they can also discuss with me, um, but it depends on the etiology. Like, for instance, if somebody had a problem with their tubes and there was tubal disease, they, it's unlikely that the second time around that's going to get better because it's an anatomical problem. Um, so they usually will need help again. If it's somebody also with sperm parameters that are abnormal and it's a male factor, then typically, again, they'll need to see the area again. There are times of unexplained infertility that, you know, we, we discuss with patients that, you know, sometimes they needed help, but the second time around, they may not. In fact, I mean, I've had some patients that had, um, poor egg reserve, for instance, or something, you know, and then that might have been the reason they're young, poor egg reserve, they have their baby ready to come back, and they're like, oh, what well, I'm pregnant again. So it doesn't always mean that because they have infertility the first time around that they're going to need help again. So um, it's, uh, you know, it really depends on the reason why they were infertility patients to begin with. 
That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I actually happened in, I saw very recently, I think it's three or four women who all are pregnant with baby number two or three, where they, you know, struggled immensely on baby number one and for one of them baby number two and then it was like oh wow look at that it's a bit of a shock there's baby number you know next one's coming um because when you go through such a difficult time the first time it's kind of hard to imagine that it's going to be so easy on subsequent pregnancies but it obviously that's not always the case sometimes you know it just changes everything yeah god knows our bodies change god knows everything changes now um and in general, do you guys find, um, at least in where I am, a lot of a lot of embryos for women who are doing IVF end up with uh, pre-implantation genetics. And when that happens, how often is it that you will then find an anomaly later on, meaning that they, they were fine, you know, the embryos tested well, and then fast forward... Mm-hmm. And it turns out there's a problem. Is that common? So I think, you know, and for me as an REI, I can tell you my part, and I'm sure that Tally can probably expand more on it because we let them go and the patient gets pregnant and then they, they go and follow up. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen many of that. But again, when we do pre-implantation genetic testing, testing and not the diagnosis, but the testing. The testing is typical um, to look at whole chromosomes. So we're looking at whole chromosome disorder. So we're not looking at specific, uh, you know, single gene right, disorders single gene. in general. Right. Or maybe like an, an anomaly that is congenital, but that has not a specific genetic association. So for us, we're looking at whole chromosomes, addressing the risk of miscarriages, addressing the decreased risk of like Down syndrome and whatnot, and then so that's what I've seen, and then and then I think Tally can tell you what she sees with the euploids that we sent to her. Yes, and also with the pre-implantation diagnosis, I mean, there's a limitation where only a few cells are being looked at out of you know many many more, and so whereas it does definitely decrease the risk for chromosomal abnormalities. Um, You know, we tell patients it's not zero, and the only way for us to know 100% is for us to to actually test them in pregnancy. But I have seen, especially with the with the newer methods, um, much lower rates. And I've also seen some situations where we actually had some abnormal embryos that were implanted and they ended up being completely fine. Really? That's interesting. And I mean, that that's a, that's an, um, for lack of a better word, a ballsy move, isn't it? To some degree. <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, it's good that you asked, and I know it's like talk in in terms of mo- embryo mosaicism, right? I think that's like what the what Tali's mm-hmm. addressing there. Um, so the current technology of looking at embryos, like she said, we look at a few cells, but the um, the accuracy that we have has increased so much more. So when we have a euploid, a normal quote unquote normal embryo, we are looking at excellent pregnancy rates. I mean, most of these patients are getting pregnant. So like we went from maybe like 40% pregnancy rate to like 60, 65%. So a lot of these embryos are have such implantation potential, like great implantation rates. But at the same time, then we have these mosaics. So like they're not abnormal, but like they are technically not normal. So this is what been called 
abnormal and now we're putting those in they can implant but at a much lower implantation rate and so some of them can turn out to be normal like the embryo fixes itself that's pretty cool so we have to take a brief break or listening to md for moms on the bbm global network and iHeartRadio. i'm your host dr carly Snyder. stay tuned we are going to talk more do you ever wonder why certain things are happening in your life how to start a business or a new direction need answers astrologer bonnie perbula can help you reveal your true self and gain strength and focus so you can achieve greater joy and success working with a natal birth date time and location bonnie brings out qualities to aid you in getting the best from your life She can help you unlock dormant traits to bring you greater awareness. Bonnie also conducts public speaking engagements to educate aspiring astrologers on their journey to the stars. A gifted artist, Bonnie bridges her talents and recently launched a line of Astro Bears, uniquely created in colors of individuals' astrology charts. She also makes one-of-a-kind necklaces of crystal beads and woven thread. To learn more about the world of Bonnie Prabula, go to BonnieGPrabula.com. And for astrology consulting, visit astrology.com consultants.com or call or email her at 808-526-1536 or bonniegp at aol.com. French Rastafarian baker Chef Oug Mat is a fourth-generation baker and has worked in 11 countries across three continents. Born in Mulhouse, France, he began apprenticing in his father's bakery at age 12 and has devoted his life to learning cultures of the world from inside kitchens across the globe. He also teaches traditional French baking by hosting demonstrations and classes, and his passion for baking is reflected in his delicious confections. With a deep respect for discipline and his Rastafarian way of life, Chef Ouvmat exemplifies commitment to tradition and culture in a global world. Traveling extensively and combining a myriad of flavors into his recipes, Chef Ugmat brings a unique approach to baking. To read more about the French Rastafarian baker, visit www.frenchchefoug.com. That's H-U-G-U-E-S. Bon appétit and bless up. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center, and we are speaking to doctors Tally Farrow and Jessica Mann. And our phone lines are open. The number is 866-451-1451. And in fact, we have two callers on the line. Okay, so the first caller had a question for Dr. Farrow. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Great. What's your question? Um, So in my last pregnancy, I did fertility and I had twins, um, and I saw a high-risk doctor. Um, I'm thinking of having another baby. Do I, and let's say I have twins again, do I have to see, do I automatically have to see a high-risk doctor again? Um, so that's a great question that I get asked a lot. You know, are twins automatically a high-risk pregnancy? And in general, I do usually tell people, yes, twins, equal double the trouble. So any pregnancy complication that we can have in a singleton pregnancy, we can double and then some in twins. So specifically, you have an increased risk of pregnancy losses, of um, fetuses with anomalies, growth issues, um, preterm labor, delivering early, uh, pregnancy complications like diabetes, preeclampsia and high blood pressure, increased cesarean delivery rates. Um, those are all pretty much things that general obstetricians a lot of times can take care of with our help. Um, there is a specific kind of twin pregnancy called monochorionic twin pregnancy where the twins happen to share one placenta. And that specific pregnancy um, can present with a risk of something called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, 
or selective growth restriction, in which case we're going to need a lot of extra screening and sometimes even treatments to help in those pregnancies. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the triplets and quadruplets, obviously, a lot of doctors feel more comfortable sending to us. But usually, yes, you will see a high-risk pregnancy specialist. Great question. Thank you. And we had another caller. Are you still there? Hi, can you oh. hear me? Yep. Yep, go ahead. Hi, my question's for Dr. Farrow. Um, my, my first baby, when I was pregnant, he was breech. So I wound up with a C-section. And um, I'm pregnant again. Is it, is it, am I definitely going to have a C-section again, or is there a chance for natural? If I could, I would like to have a natural delivery this time. So also an excellent question and something that I discuss all the time with patients. I mean, C-sections in this country have increased tremendously. You know, they, they were at about 5% in 1970, and now, you know, we're approaching 33 to 35%. Um, when we talk about having a C-section. The first time we used to say that, no, once you had a C-section, you had to have a C-section again um, because of some complications that can happen, um, like uterine rupture. Today, we know that if you are a good candidate, um, you do not have to have a C-section the first time. So there are certain patients that absolutely cannot have a vaginal delivery if they had a C-section the first time. And those are patients who had a classical C-section or an up and down incision in their uterus um, or a T incision in their uterus had a uterine rupture in the past or had extensive uterine surgery like fibroids, multiple fibroids that were removed. Those would be patients that I would say absolutely no. Otherwise, we will look at what the indications were for the first C-section. Um, like breach is a great indication that usually does not reoccur in another pregnancy. Um, and if you're a good candidate, your success rate for a vaginal birth the next time could be anywhere from 60 to 80%. Great question. Okay, so if I wind up, oh, sorry, if, if I wind up with another C-section, am I limited to how many C-sections I can have? Like, can I only have two kids if I have two C-sections or... So there's no absolute limit that any of our, um, any of our governing bodies have given. However, the more C-sections you have, the more complications that we see. It is a major surgical operation, and I think that we don't give it as much credit as we should. Um, the more C-sections you have, the more scar tissue that you could develop. There are also specific complications that can happen with multiple C-sections, like placenta previa, placenta accreta, which is actually a placenta that can adhere to your uterus and not be able to be removed. And in those cases, women can have really severe hemorrhages and may have even end up with a hysterectomy. So we usually do try to say um, that you should limit how many C-sections. And generally, above four tends to present with a lot more complications. Great question. That was a great question. So I think given that we have been talking about, oh, we have, do we have another caller? Is there another question on the line? Hmm? So maybe not. Okay. So, so, um, 
we've been talking about, you know, high-risk pregnancy. Why don't we stick with that for the moment, and then we can go forward. Oh, um, so when it comes to um, high-risk pregnancy, I think a lot of people get really freaked out, for lack of a nicer way to say it, right, that there's something inherently wrong. And it's how necessary is it that people get scared? Are you guys always, for lack of a nice way to say it, scary? Is there something always wrong if they, if someone has to see a high risk, an MFM? So absolutely not. And actually, I think that patients who do come and see us or have a preconception consultation and we could prepare for the pregnancy, um, the chances of something going wrong or going, you know, being very wrong before we pick it up are much, much less. So seeing us and, and having us be part of the course in your pregnancy should make your anxiety levels lower um, because the chances are that things are going to get better. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, there's a lot, I mean, even since I've had my last child, there's a lot of options in terms of genetic testing during pregnancy. Can you speak to which woman needs to have more invasive testing versus a woman who can really get away with the blood test plus maybe a nuchal? Sure. So, you know, the older that we are, the, the more increased the risk is for having babies with chromosomal abnormalities um, like Down syndrome, but, you know, many, many other chromosomal abnormalities that we can see. And also within my first pregnancy and my last one, I mean, I have a nine-year-old and a one-year-old, um, the different options that were available are insane. Um, so today we have something called non-invasive prenatal screening, uh, which is a blood test that we can do to screen for major chromosomal abnormalities. And these are the ones I like to call the big bang for your buck, the ones that are most likely to be abnormal. Um, we also have tests that look at every single chromosome and look at even bigger parts of chromosomes. But the ones that really have been validated and we use are the ones that look at, you know, chromosomes 13, 18, 21, X and Y. Um, and usually those tests are offered to patients who are either above the age of 35 or what we consider advanced maternal age because these are the patients that have higher rates of having chromosomal abnormalities, uh, about one in 300. Um, also, patients who have had a previous history of a child with a chromosomal abnormality, if we see some sort of anomaly on ultrasound, um, these are patients that we can offer these to. Um, however, these tests are screening tests. They're not diagnostic tests. They look at the baby's DNA in your blood. So there could be some false negatives and false positives associated with them. And the only way that we're going to know 100% is to do an invasive test like an amniocentesis or a CVS where we actually have to put a needle into the uterus and take some tissue or fluid and send that to look at the chromosomes. The advantages of the invasive test is that we actually can take fetal cells, grow them out, and look at every single chromosome. We can also look at you know, smaller chromosomal problems, and that's a test called a microarray, where we actually can look and see if there are extra pieces or missing pieces of chromosomes. Um, there is a blood test looking at that, but again, it's, it's not a diagnostic test. Um, and usually we reserve those high-risk tests for women who 
have a high risk of some sort of condition. Like we see something abnormal on ultrasound. Um, sometimes the patient is just extremely worried and just needs to know 100% and have that peace of mind. Um, these would be the women that would have the invasive tests. Hmm. And how risky are the invasive tests relative to the benefit? So they're they're definitely getting less risky as um, we've been doing them more. We do them under ultrasound guidance. Uh, the, the typical rate that we quote for patients for CVS loss is about um, one in a hundred. For amniocentesis, it was usually quoted around 1 in 300. Today, when we look at some of the newer publications, uh, amniocentesis loss rates can be anywhere from 1 in 500 to 1 in 1,000. So I usually quote patients 1 in 500. Um, you know, we now do them under ultrasound guidance. Back in the day, we didn't have ultrasounds. We used to do them, do an x-ray, look at the baby, then put a needle in. We didn't know exactly where we were going. Uh, they were also being done for patients with a lot more high-risk conditions. Um, so today, they are much safer. However, it's still an invasive procedure. Anytime that I'm putting a needle into the body and into the uterus, there is a risk, either to the mother or some sort of damage to the baby. And I have to imagine at the point in which you decide to do that, the benefit clearly outweighs any risk. I mean, and if... What's for our listeners who don't know, what is the difference between a CVS and an amnio? So, an amniocentesis um, is taking fluid from around the baby. Uh, we grow out the cells and then we use those cells and, and, and for diagnosis. A CVS actually takes pieces of placental precursors um, and maps out those cells and takes a look for diagnosis. The advantages of a CVS are that we can do it earlier in pregnancy. Um, we could do it anywhere from, you know, 10 plus weeks, usually 11 weeks and up uh, versus an amnio where we're limited. We can only do it after 15 or 16 weeks. We have to wait until there's fluid on board, until um, the chorion and the amnion fuse. Um, and so a CVS can be done earlier. It is a riskier procedure. Um, there are higher loss rates. And sometimes we also can have some false positives um, in a CVS because we're taking tissue from the mother and the baby. Um, and sometimes there are conditions that we may see in the placenta that may not be present in the baby. Hmm. That is the very important info. Now, we have to take another brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. And after the break, we're going to explore more about fertility in depth. So don't go away. Attorney Renee Marie Smith is changing the way we sell real estate. She wrote a series of books called My Short Sale Guru Guides for all real estate practitioners. Whether you're a homeowner wanting to understand the process, an agent who has been handling short sales for years, or an industry analyst wanting to know how short sales impact your business, Renee uses her vast real estate experience to take a comprehensive look at the recent market phenomena while relaying it in an easy-to-understand format. Through her company, Smith Title Services, Renee has counseled thousands of short sale participants and processed in excess of a 1,000 short sales. Her knowledge is transformational for real estate professionals and laymen alike, and her live presentations provide people the opportunity to ask specific questions about their issues. 
Buy her books and schedule her to speak at your next event. Visit www.smithtitleservices.com or call 305-705-3428 or email her at renee at smithtitleservices.com. Isn't it time to sell your property today? Learn the My Short Sale Guru way. WikiWags brings harmony back into your home for male dogs and their owners. Inventor and entrepreneur Linda Jangula has created the disposable doggy diaper wraps made with the male dog in mind. The built-in wicking ability prevents rashing and other potential health issues for your dog. Each wrap comes in four sizes and has dual reattachable magic tabs for easy adjustments. And each size has a 7-inch logo strip for adjustability so they are comfortable and easy to use. No more fuss, just leave the mess to us. Whether you're in or out, your dog will be free to run about. Stop cleaning and start enjoying your home, and you can even leave your dog alone. To order your WikiWags, visit wikiwags.com, or to find out where to buy WikiWags in your town, visit mywikiwags.com and start enjoying having man's best friend around. Welcome back to Andy for Moms on the BBM Global Network and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center, and we are speaking to doctors Tally Farrow and Jessica Mann. And if you have a question, our phone lines are open, 866-451-1451. So in the last segment, we spoke more about high-risk fertility or high-risk pregnancy. And now we're going to go into fertility. So I, you know, fertility is, is tough, right? Because everyone thinks, boom, I want to be pregnant. I should have been pregnant yesterday. You know, no one wants to wait, but it's actually a lot more common than people realize. What are the rates of infertility, all all told infertility? Well, you know, so it's, it's uh, what we tell, what we know, it appears that it's a one in eight and that number, like, you know, you probably have seen it or have heard it as like one in eight couples struggle with infertility so it's not as uncommon as we think um and that is just what we you know what is reported so there are a lot of times patients that you know don't realize that they have problems or they just don't want to discuss it and so one in eight is, is quite high um and uh infertility is one aspect and one part of what i do and the other part is recurrent losses so it is a problem when patients are getting pregnant but they are not able to have a baby and so that's another Another reason, you know, to come in to be seen because that's actually more common. Sometimes patients don't even know that they're pregnant and they may have an early loss. They just, they're not checking. They think that their period's late. So, so that is also a statistic that we probably um, under, are underestimating at this point. And that's so, I mean, both, both ends of the spectrum are so frustrating and sad, you know, either the failure to conceive or losses. I mean, in both scenarios, you really aren't, um, your body's not working the way you want it to for any number of reasons. How often is it that you actually find that it's male pattern infertility as compared to female? We used to think uh, that most of the time an infertility was due to a woman's age, a woman's egg. And so I'm glad you asked that question, Carly, because it's actually about 40% of the time that we find a male factor. So a lot of times patients, even that who have had children before, but now that there is a problem, now we know that there are parameters that can 
tell us that you know the sperm may there may be sperm but maybe it's not moving well maybe it's not of the uh, adequate shape so male factor is is actually very common and uh you know i know women we we are strong and we you know a lot of the times we like we're able to cope with that diagnosis um in a certain way because of i think what we've gone through right we have babies we we were moms we're work and all that but men i find actually that Sometimes when you tell a couple that it's it's a male factor, it's it's actually very emotionally draining, and sometimes I think it's more difficult to cope with um, because whether it is like you know the, the male macho thing that like you know it's you're telling me I've had patients tell me you know the guys that like you're telling me I can't get my wife pregnant. I'm like, well, you know it can happen. You just need a little help, but it's it's very. Um, very difficult to discuss this with patients and sometimes the guys don't even come like they they just don't want to get themselves tested they just don't want to give me a sample they're like nope nope I don't I think I'm fine thank you very much so um but uh but it's common it's common up to like 40 percent of the time it's male factor wow that must be a hard scenario if someone refuses to come in because then what are you going to do I mean it, it, yeah. that's sort of limiting limiting any benefit now I think I feel like maybe not recently, but a couple of years ago, there was a lot in the news about freezing eggs, right? Women who are not ready to have kids, but they're in, you know, they're no longer 25. And I remember there were even like, you know, egg freezing parties, which always seemed a little odd to me. But anyway, what what's the optimal age for a woman to have to go and have egg retrieval and have her eggs frozen for the future? So in general, we know that there is a, a decline in equality once you get to, to be over 30. Um, this is more pronounced after 35. And so if you if you had to pick an age, um, most would say probably before 35. Um, now, with that, they're also uh, what we're missing here is the, the patient. Every person has their own story. There are patients who have endometriosis, but undiagnosed like they've had pelvic pain for all this time they've had more relationships and maybe they've not been on the pill so there's maybe a little bit of a history that maybe they could have been pregnant but they weren't so it's not like a hard set number obviously i think after 35 most would argue if you're getting close to 35 perhaps it's not a bad idea but there are some women who are you know have good markers of egg reserve, you gotta take a good history and understand, you know, unfortunately we can't put everything on one marker. There's a lot of, uh, you might have heard, like you said, this egg freezing parties or come and let me get your blood test and I'll tell you what the AMH is and maybe you need to freeze your eggs. It's not that simple. I mean, we have women with low AMH levels who can get pregnant. The utility of AMH is not to tell you you should freeze your eggs or not. It's the whole patient. It's the whole history. It's the, you know, their their risk factors. And so there are women who are maybe late 20s who should be freezing their eggs. I mean, I have a couple of those that there's issues with their periods. There's issues with the previous history. And in those patients, like, you know, your FSH level is kind of high. Everything looks like your ovaries are smaller in volume. They're not that many follicles. So why not freeze your eggs before you're 30 if, you know, things may, are going to change no matter what with time. It, it's just what happens. And... How big a, of a whole process is it, you know, and also financially, how big of a process is it to freeze one's eggs? Right. So um, so the process is 
pretty um, straightforward. I mean, patients usually are taking medications for about 10 to 12 days uh, or sometimes a little bit less, but about at most maybe like two weeks of the process. And during this time, they come to the office to have blood work done. The blood work is to see how they're responding to the medications we're giving them. They also have a pelvic ultrasound each time to assess the eggs and how they're growing in response to the medications. And then they take another injection at the end of their uh, of this time, the process of growth, so that we get mature eggs. The egg retrieval, or like egg harvest, we call it, um, is the time when the patient will actually undergo a light sedation anesthesia. And then we do a transvaginal ultrasound, and that's how we access the eggs. So the, then at that time, the patient's asleep, we get the eggs and they're frozen, and then they're frozen, and they have no expiration date. You know, patients ask me how long can they be frozen for, pretty much until you're ready to use them. Um, sometimes, you know, depending on the patient, they may need more than one cycle, depending on their response, depending on their age. Um, and then financially, I mean, you know, there's a combination of medication costs, and so how much is that gonna cost? That's depending on the patient's response, on their markers of egg reserve. And then the actual uh, fact of freezing, which, you know, it kind of varies. It's, it's a few thousand dollars. Um, the whole the whole thing is probably under 10000 And And sometimes patients think it's a lot more. It is still a lot of money. Um, but, you know, you have to put it in perspective. Like if you're going to use and you would like to have an egg, you know, a baby with your own egg, sometimes it is necessary. I mean, it's definitely not something that, you know, um, maybe most of 20-year-old uh, young women can't afford. Um, in terms of the time, it is it's pretty straightforward, and the procedure itself has minimal risks to um, to the patients. That you know, I, I feel like that's really important information for people to hear. Now, what? In general, do most people conceive? Or let me rephrase it. How long does it take a, a typical couple when they come to see you? You know, is this a process that one could say, I'm going to be pregnant in the next six months or in the next year? Or is it so person dependent that one can't really say? It's very person dependent. But, you know, the things that we usually need, the turnaround is around like it's maybe like a month to two months at most before they start any kind of process. So, for instance, the patient comes in. We do an initial assessment. They get the day three blood work, so we need another period. And at that point, as you know, provided the male does their part, we usually can have a discussion within the next month to see where they're going. If they're going to do in vitro, it's dependent on their age, you know. So they can technically be pregnant within the next, you know, four months or sometimes six months. Sometimes at the time that they come in, we find other problems. Oh, by the way, your thyroid is, uh, you know, we find that you have uh, underlying thyroid condition. We find that we've had patients with other prolactin secreting tumors and whatnot. So there's other things that can um, make an impact on the time to pregnancy because it's not something that I can just tell you everybody's going to be, you know, leaving my office in four months. Some people do. Some people do who are, like, healthy and it's just basically an unexplained fertility. We don't know why. Most of them do very well. But then there are patients that you have underlying problems. So I'm not going to let you go through something without, you know, making sure that you are fine. Like, you, you know, we are 
we, you know, our eggs are just the reflection of us, our sperm, everything is like our bodies need to be treated first. Like we have a patient who has un, uncontrolled diabetes, you know, their hemoglobin A1C is eight. I mean, no, I'm not gonna let you do this until we have good control. So, so often with patients that have other comorbidities, I refer them to a high-risk specialist to discuss, you know, I can tell you what I can see, but I need the input of a high-risk doctor, patients with, you know, renal disease, high blood pressure, that needs to, all those things need to be controlled so that we can have a good outcome. Whenever we want to do this, we want, you know, the patient to have a healthy pregnancy, and so it's all important. It's a team effort. Thank you. (laughs) That's actually a great answer. Um, Now, do you, I have a patient who actually asked me the other day, it was kind of a rhetorical question, but still curious. So she's had recurrent miscarriages and, and she found out, or she's waiting on results about blood factor deficiencies. And she kind of said, well, why didn't they just check for this when I first went in? Like, why is this, you know, why did I need to go through miscarriage after miscarriage before finding out? you know, if I have a blood factor deficiency. do you, Is that a typical thing to check or is it something where you really do need kind of um, an indication before? Yeah, it, it breaks my heart. I mean, Carly, it really breaks my heart because there are times that, you know, I have patients, we go through all this because we have a diagnosis of infertility, but the pregnancy loss part isn't there until there's a pregnancy. So we, you really don't test for that because there's no indication. There's no reason to think that someone's going to have a pregnancy loss. I mean, these are not common. Um, our patients who have, you know, infertility issues at higher risk of a pregnancy loss, I don't think the data shows that that's the case. But, you know, obviously, hopefully something that maybe we can look at more in the future. But, yes, the answer is that there is no indication to check for things until someone has multiple losses, you know. Um, part of their history usually uh, pertains to family history. So some patients with history of, say, uh, blood clotting disorders from the beginning, I may say, okay, if, you know, if you have factor five, like sometimes patients are savvy and they know if somebody in the family has this, then there's an indication for me to check that particular factor. But we don't have a blanket like, you know, uh, thrombophilia workup on every patient that walks into the door because those are not common. Not, not yeah, that's what I told her. But, you know, it is so hard. It broke my heart, too. We have to take another brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on iHeartRadio and the BBM Global Network. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center. Don't go away. More to come. Are you looking for employment and live in Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties? Jobs Annex is the place for you. Are you an employer looking to fill a position or quite a few positions in Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties? Jobs Annex is for you. Employer jobsannex.com is your resource for career-minded people. jobsannex.com is the convenient place for job seekers and employers to hook up and move forward. Jobs Annex has been serving Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties for over 14 years. Jobs Annex is a former employment search firm. We've evaluated many thousands of resumes and we understand what employers want and what job applicants need to be successful in their interviews. At Jobs Annex, we provide you with the tools to tell your story for free. Our resources at jobsannex.com will help each applicant construct an award-winning resume, an eye-catching cover letter, and key interview questions to ask in various types of interviews. Best of all, it's free. 
jobsannex.com. That's J-O-B-S-A-N-N-E-X.com. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center, and today we are speaking to reproductive endocrinologist, Dr. Jessica Mann, and maternal fetal medicine specialist, Dr. Tally Farrow. And I'm curious from both of you, if there are sort of common misconceptions that you hear often and want to clear up. Um, Tally, you want to go first? Sure. I think a lot of women who are above the age of 35 automatically assume that they're high-risk patients. You know, it's a very common statement that I get, oh, now I'm 35, so I'm high-risk. And I always kind of chuckle to myself. And, you know, I say, you think that all of a sudden you turn 35 and this big, huge thing happened to your body and all of a sudden everything is going to be bad. It's not. It's a continuum. It's a spectrum. We have a lot more women today. Um, that are having babies at ages 35, 40. You know, I have patients in their 50s that do great. Um, You know, I have some healthier 40-year-olds than I do some of my 18-year-olds. So just because you're above the age of 35, it's not some, you know, big, awful diagnosis. You're not going to have horrible outcomes. Most of the time, you're going to do great in pregnancy. But I will say, what is it... um not, it's not a geriatric pregnancy. Is that the right term? Which is just oh, clearly uh, yeah, elderly, 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 gra- yeah, elderly gravita is the code that I see 10 code that we have to use. Yeah. I would have to say a man came up with that because there's no way a woman. Yeah, would that's right. That is right. A woman, right? Like, it's just not, it's just not nice. It's just a little. Not nice at all. It's not, and no. it's not true. <laughs> well, which is another important point, right? Cause most, you're right, most women these days, I mean, having a baby much younger than 35 is, is at least on the Northeast, you know, it's not that common. Um, oh, yeah. And how about you, Tally? What do you think? Um, so I think that for the misconception for me is that, you know, most of the time women think that it's their problem. And it's not like we addressed a little bit of that, that it's actually it takes two to tango, like I said. So it's not always the woman's problem. It's uh, it's both. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I think it's important that the couple comes in to see if there's two of them, then they both have to be evaluated. Now, you mentioned how men have a really... Um, hard time with it is it common for them to be surprised to hear that it could be them how much is it the how much is the fact that there is such a thing as male pattern infertility actually known amongst the general population do you think based on your experience i don't think we have awareness and i think that has the the, problem is that medicine overall uh you know we all we've been in medical school in the times where there were many mostly like equal number of men to women but for a long time medicine has been driven by men right and so a lot of it has i think we you know there's like a a hidden um background and like how things were looked at these are the problems so i think we're, we're finding out more more male factor and it just it's not common knowledge a lot of things 
a lot of times people think, oh, there's, you know, there's sperm, it's fine. In fact, I send some patients to be evaluated by a urologist and the urologist will say, yeah, you have sperm, it's fine, it only takes one. Well, there's more than that, you know, it has <laughs> to swim right, it has to get to, through the cervix, through the uterus, into the tube, and, and if it's not normal, then it's just not going to make it there. So um, it's not uh, widely known, I think, and understood and uh, a little bit of denial there, I think. I, I mean, I would agree. I have a lot of patients who are in the throes of fertility treatments and in the settings of their partner having the primary issue. It's interesting that women still take on the onus of being, I mean, they are ultimately the patient, right? They are the one who has to show up for ultrasounds all the time and they're the one who have to, you know, do kind of all the nitty gritty stuff of fertility treatments. But it's still, even in the setting of it being um, primarily not his fault, but based upon, you know, the sperm quality or whatever mobility, women still, we really are so, um, it's very hard for us. We all, we kind of put it on ourselves in the setting of fertility because that's, I think, culturally what we think. It's that it's our fault, which is ridiculous. Um but it's sad. I mean, it's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, both yeah, and of I you, think it's changing. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of there are some men who are very supportive and understanding, even you know, regardless. And then, uh, but they're they're still like I think it's it's difficult for the majority of them. And sometimes you know, they they feel some of them like truly truly like just feel that that uh, it's their fault but you're right a lot of women it's just it's difficult it's difficult for both of them I always encourage that patients going through um, fertility treatment seek out the help of a mental health specialist and it's not because like oh you know you have a problem I say you know this is this is difficult this is not easy and you need support so um, thank you thank you I was gonna say thank you I mean I I agree I see a lot of patients both women who are infertility and women who have high-risk pregnancies because talk about anxiety inducing also that I mean I I've always said to my patients from the get-go, pregnancy is such a time of, you know, anxiety naturally, right? Because we can't look inside mm-hmm. at any one moment and say everything's okay. But absolutely, you know, and yeah. we have to be, you know, comfortably uncomfortable with the unknown. But when the unknown includes potential greater risk than average, right? If you think that there is a chance, or if you know there's an anomaly or something of that nature, but you're not certain how that will play out it can you know the layers of anxiety really can be overwhelming and can take away from the joy of pregnancy pretty quickly um which is sad now on a more upbeat note um how can listeners find you guys jessica you want to go first sure um so my office number is 732-786 7900 and I'm in Old Bridge. You probably could just Google Dr. Jessica Mann and you can find me there. I'm in Old Bridge, New Jersey. Um, so I, uh, I'll be glad to help anybody and uh, you know, make a phone call and uh, hope. Uh, thank you, Carly. Um, thank you, uh, Tally, for the nice discussion. So uh, glad to hear that you guys are all local. So it's very nice. Very nice yeah, to talk to you. Small world. And how about you, Tally? How can people find you? 
So I work out of uh, St. Peter's University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, we take care of patients from all over New Jersey, uh, New York City. Um, so you can you can find me there. I'm on uh, Instagram at Dr. Tally, on Twitter at Dr. Tally One, um, and I do have a website that's not up currently, but I'm going to be relaunching very shortly, and it's called thepregnantdoctor.com, which I started during my last pregnancy. Oh, that's a great name. Very nice. That's great. That's awesome. Well, thank you both so much. This has been great, and I'd love to have you guys on again in the future, because I think there's both topics are so rich for discussion and lead to so many understandable questions for women who are thinking about pregnancy, who are pregnant, um, you know, women who have already gone through the process and are now thinking about a future pregnancy, there's lots going on. And it's so much better to hear from an expert directly. And, you know, Dr. Google is never, <laughs> I don't want to say Dr. Google never. is never right, but no. it's just not helpful. Dr. Google is never helpful, ultimately. It's anxiety, anxiety provoking. And I know from experience as a patient. <laughs> Me too. In true. It is so hard. Now, for our listener, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, if you missed any of this show, you can always download it as a podcast on iTunes along with prior episodes. Thank you. So tune in again every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio or anytime on iTunes or on BoldBraveMedia.com slash shows slash MD for moms. I look forward to hearing from you with questions and your thoughts. You can always email me at cs at carlysnydermd.com or just check out my website, carlysnydermd.com, where I have lots of blog posts about women's health, wellness, mental health, mental wellness, all of the above. And, you know, check us out on Facebook and Twitter, although, you know, I haven't gotten Instagram down yet. It's on on my list. I'm getting there. coming, coming soon. This has been an episode of MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Until next time, be well, enjoy life, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Please join us each and every week for answers to the many challenging issues moms face today on the next episode of Dr. Carly's MD for Moms. been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch-ch-ch-chumba. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.